Welcome to Our Hen House. This is Jasmine Singer. This is Marianne Sullivan. And this week we are chatting with photographers and activists Shannon Johnstone and Jane Castelline, who took it upon themselves to get two billboards up along the interstate in eastern North Carolina, one of the pig factory farm capitals of the world, encouraging people to see pigs in a new way. This is something I'm absolutely obsessed with. And I know you are too, Marianne. Totally. I, I just want us all like, stop listening to our head house, stop doing anything else. Just all work to get enough money to get a billboard up because I just think this is something anybody can do. I mean, all right, it's not free and, you know, it does require some money, but but anybody can basically do it. We could have billboards all over the place. The reason that billboards cost money is because they work. Like the reason people put ads on them is because they work. I love what they're doing. I love that they just took it upon themselves to do it. And they're amazing. And I want us all to do this. We, we need to spend all our time just putting ads up. Oh my God. I think like the basis of our hen house is that there are a multiplicity of ways to yeah, change but this the is world it. for animals. This is okay. it. <laughs> this is the one. It is like, amazing. We're constantly worrying about how to reach people. Like how do businesses reach people? They put ads up. All right, we can't afford other kinds of ads, but we can afford billboards. I, you know, they're not, like I said, I mean, it depends on where they are and they're hardly free, but it's not beyond the realm of imagination. They had all sorts of unbelievable problems. They'll go through that and it was frustrating and it might discourage you, but you know, they worked it all out. And I actually had asked them a question during the interview, which they didn't know the answer to off the top of their heads and they filled me in. So I'll just tell you this. And this this fact that they sent me afterwards is going to make you want to listen to the interview if you don't already. And so I asked them about the traffic count. This is from North Carolina Department of Transportation. And weekly, the number of folks who see the billboards that, that's the way she put it. So I don't know whether that's the number of cars. And, you know, of course, we can't be sure that everybody sees it. But a number of people who see the billboards is weekly 147,000. Oh, my God. Wow. In four weeks, 588,000. There are a lot of people out there on the interstate. They're driving around and they should be looking at pigs. That's my thought. Wow. That's completely amazing. I mean, the reason it's such a powerful thing too is because we all know that the reason people are not vegan or are not doing anything about the horror that they're participating in is because they don't think about it. And advertising just, you know, it takes, gives them a second. It's not big, but it gives them a second. It makes them think about it. Then, you know, maybe they shut down, but some of them don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, even if you have like one one hundredth of success rate. Yeah. Yeah. One one thousandth. I don't know. It's pretty cool. So uh, I can't wait for that interview. But I, I wanted to tell you something else that I think is pretty cool. I've been a little bit resistant to bring this up on the podcast just because there are have been a lot of moving parts here and there actually still are. So I'm still a little resistant, but... All right, all right, stop the... the stop the... I, I'll, I'll tell you anyway. This, that, but that, just tell us. So at WXXI, uh, where I'm a host, I fill in, among other shows, I fill in for Connections, which is the talk show. And that's a radio. Uh, this is radio. Yeah, this is radio. WXXI is NPR, the NPR member station in Rochester. There's also PBS there. That's how it works with public media. If people aren't familiar, there's like the national presence. And then in cities, there is sometimes the uh, the local presence and it kind of shares content, et cetera. 
bounces back and forth between national and local, yada, yada. So I pitched a show a while back on climate and uh, I pitched it as a radio show. And the WXXI does cover a lot of climate related stories, but there isn't a specific beat reporter, which means a reporter for whom this is what they focus on completely. So anyway, the the show got approved. It got greenlit. But the the TV people were like, hey, hold on. What if we also make this a TV show? And there's been a lot of like, how are we going to do that and make it sound appropriate for radio while also recording it for TV? And we're still figuring some of that out, there will be a post-production element, but it was greenlit. I'm, I'm shooting on Friday, two episodes to start. It will air live on the radio, and then it becomes a podcast afterwards on the Connections podcast thread. When you say on Friday, it will be yesterday. And so it, well, you wouldn't be able to hear it live on the radio. You could hear it as a podcast. It will also go up the last Friday of every month from 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern on the radio. In a few months, the TV show will launch. And so I'm excited about it. I feel like I'm completely a little in over my head because I don't know. There's just so many aspects politically, personally, scientifically. All right. Stop with the imposter syndrome. I'm, I'm so not tired imposter- of hearing okay. I'm, am I, is this really imposter syndrome? I'm yeah, just, totally. Okay. Well, then I'm amazing. I'm going to kick ass. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to tell people and I will I will link to it here and there if you follow me on social or wherever. And so I wanted to let you know my first episode is going to be about electrification because that's how I got to Rochester and you too. We were looking for a climate friendly place to move. And then we were looking to electrify our homes and make them as, you know, net zero as we can given the parameters of what we're dealing with with our 100-year-old homes. And so the first episode is about electrification. The second one is about the food sector, but not food. I'm going to have a separate episode about food. So wish me luck. <laughs> It'll be great. I can't wait. Yeah. And I've you've been helping me a lot along the way. So thank you. So let's talk about this Vice article before we get into the interview, because it's it's compelling. It's really compelling. It's called, We Asked Women If Vegan Men Give Them the Ick. A new study says, what do you think? Well, you know the answer. It says yes. The new study says yes. And this article was like, yeah, go ahead. This is a very annoying article. They have this picture of this um, guy who's carrying a bunch of oranges, which I guess is supposed to show how icky he is. They started talking about a new study. And it, it says, according to research published in Sex Roles Journal, men on vegan diets are often perceived as lacking in masculinity. Now, we've heard this for years, but they're drilling down on this. I don't know why they've chosen to write about this. Even weirder, it says some vegans thought this too. Quote, the female vegans themselves were surprised that they have such stereotypical thinking. I don't even understand that line. They're surprised at what they think. Don't they know what they think? After all, on a rational level, they know that a vegan diet is not related to a person's masculinity. That's from the study's co-author, whose name is Dominica Adamczyk, which is a perfectly fine name, 
Only it does bring up the fact that nowhere in this whole article do they mention this study was in Poland. Now, I don't know whether Poland is less friendly than other, vegan friendly than other places, but it does seem like the kind of thing that they would mention when they're writing for an American audience. But no, we're not to know that this was in Poland where they might have different attitudes about either veganism, though I've heard that the vegan food in Warsaw is completely off the hook, but might also have, you know, different attitudes towards masculinity and who knows? So then to make this really funny, they said to get to the bottom of this, Vice undertook a bit of rigorous scientific research of our own. Basically, we asked loads of women if veganism was a turnoff. Well, that's a useful question. Of course, it wasn't a scientific study. I should mention that this article is by one Eloise Handy. So they put, you know, things out on Instagram and whatever and diff- other scientific survey types of things and got respondents like this. Yeah, I hate to say it, but I love a man that eats meat. Yes. Is that bad? Another asked before admitting she was speaking as an ex-vegan herself. Well, yeah, so that might be (laughs) influencing her attitude. Then they went to something called girls group chats. I don't even know what that is. That probably means it's for young people. And somebody said, to be honest, I'd quite like it because I'd probably end up eating healthier. Another said being vegan might mean they're a better, more creative cook, which is pretty hot trait in my book. Another one said, I have lots of friends with intolerances and allergies, and I have other friends who struggle to cook for them because they're not used to adapting ingredients. So I think it's pretty hot stuff. So if you only read the the title of this article, which is what most people do, they think that, that women said that vegan men give them the ick. Except, you know, if you're in the United States, you're talking to younger women and actually a lot of not so young women, it goes on to say, that's not true at all. That's not what any of this says. Even their completely stupid, totally unscientific survey says it. Some people don't like it. There's this one woman who says it's unsexy and cooking, eating out and being open to trying new kinds of food is a big part of what I enjoy doing. Well, yeah, there's going to be like, like, how does this mean that women as a, as a class don't like men or think men who are vegan are icky? It doesn't say anything like that. Uh, here's another one, having a boyfriend passionately doing Veganuary right now, so it will not surprise you when I say no. It's not icky. Or another one, to me, it shows they have a strong moral compass. Finally, somebody mentions that and believe in something. It almost doesn't matter that it's about being vegan specifically, but it's a good indicator that they care about something. Well, actually, I wouldn't say it that way, but fine. I genuinely think I'd find it more of an ick if someone refused veggies and would only have meat. Nothing in this article supports what they had to say. What are they doing here? Like, is it is it this is woman like hates veganism? So she wrote this article like, yes. So why did she quote all these people who think it's great? Like, I think it's it's totally fine. Because the vast majority of digital media has sold its soul and its journalistic integrity and is solely about clicks and SEO. So my guess is that this is a very good SEO story. I lost it in my tabs. There it is. Uh, yeah, my guess is this has a lot of the keywords that are supposed to generate clicks. Probably that is combined with a personal gripe that the author has about veganism. And it was like an easy way of just sort of like posting to their social media and asking people and then getting a story that, that you know, underscores what she already feels. I will add... As annoying as that all is, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. I mentioned younger women seem to be more open to it. Here's a quote from a woman who is 54. 
quote, with the likes of Woody Harrelson and Joaquin Phoenix as vegan male role models, there's definitely not a short supply of literally hot vegan men. Also, lots of athletes are discovering vast energy benefits to plant-based eating, so we now have super fit hot vegan men too. I would struggle to be attracted to an old school meat-eating man because it's all a bit last century, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Apparently, it's not just age. It's not just anything. There are loads of women out there. Of course there are. It's a huge group of people. Some of them are assholes about veganism. Like what's really crazy here is the overall impulse of this article is that that women are totally more than fine, more than fine with men being vegan. And they're trying to create the impression that they're not. Oh gosh, straight people. <laughs> All right, did I annoy everybody? I'm sorry. Probably, that's okay. You're, you're so That's charming. my job. It's kind of my... It's kind of my raison d'etre. I love it. I love it. Uh, I, I do think we should pivot to the guests, however. Who are actually doing something useful. That was useful. I'm sure you made a few people smile. Smiles are useful every now and then. Shannon Johnstone's photographic work deals with themes that reclaim what has been discarded and make visible that which is hidden. Her project, Landfill Dogs, was featured on ABC, World News, and CNN. Her newest award-winning work is entitled Roadside Zoo. She is a three-time recipient of creativity grants from the Culture and Animals Foundation, most recently along with Jane Castelline for the Billboard Advocacy Project, Picturing Pigs. That's the actual project that we're talking about today. And she is also a tenured professor at Meredith College in Raleigh, North Carolina, and a PhD candidate in human-animal studies at the University of Canterbury in New Zealand. Jane M. Castellan's photography explores the nuances and unique qualities of the natural human and built environment through photography, including her current project, Mushrooms in Raleigh, which you were probably gaga about. How much do I love this woman? Mushrooms. And a documentary photography series currently in development on the journey of homeless Turkish dogs from abandonment to rescue to adoption. She is also a research administrator at North Carolina State University in Raleigh, North Carolina. They will be joining Marianne right after this. You've started your organization and are fighting the good fight to help animals. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, you still have to deal with people. Now what? Scarlet Spark is hosting free leadership workshops on the first Tuesday of every month on topics like leadership essentials, strategic thinking, and performance assessment to help you run your organization more efficiently so that you can help even more animals. Sign up today at luma slash scarlet dash spark. That's L-U dot M-A slash S-C-A-R-L-E-T dash S-P-A-R-K. Again, that's Lou dot ma slash scarlet dash spark. We'll also link to it in our show notes. Welcome to our hen house, Shannon and Jane. Thank you so much for having us. We're thrilled to have you because I really love this project. I've always loved this kind of advocacy. And when I heard about what you were doing, I just, it's exactly the kind of thing I love to talk about. Just people who decide to do something on their own and just do it. One of the reasons I loved it is because it's about billboards. I've always thought that billboards were unappreciated. They're just right there and we ignore them, but we don't actually ignore them. So what made you start thinking about billboards as a good place to do animal advocacy? 
So Jane and I were talking about how pig caricatures are so ubiquitous. And I think we were thinking about the way pigs are depicted in advertising. So billboards, which are kind of like white noise, just seemed like a perfect place to counter what was already out there, which were these depictions of pigs with knives and happily roasting themselves and stuff. So we thought we could offer real pigs who had been rescued and and that would be a really good counterpoint to the caricatures. Yeah. And you're not just coming out of the blue. You're both photographers. You both know a lot about images. And I assume you put a lot of thought into what images would be the most, I was going to say powerful, but maybe you were going more for just effective because you only have two seconds. You don't have a lot of time with a billboard and you're not getting the top of somebody's attention. You're getting the very rim. But, you know, I look at them all the time. So you already went there a little bit. But more specifically, what did you decide about the images that you wanted to put up there? What would they convey to people in that two seconds that you've got their half attention? I think that when we were first talking about this project, definitely one of our goals was to convey compassion. We didn't want to show images that showed the pigs having been through the harm that they had been And there are many images of those out there. And even when they enter rescue, they're often injured physically and emotionally shut down. And not that we don't appreciate how traumatic that is for them. We really feel that this project is a project of compassion and that reaching people with compassionate images that show pigs in their natural state of emotion and physical environment where they're happy and settled was really important. So that was the overarching 20,000 foot kind of where we were coming from and picking the specific images that we did. Yeah, and I want you to describe the images. When you were saying that, it made me think that I think sometimes animal advocates have been moved by horrifying images and think that other people will be too and don't realize that not everybody comes at this in the same way. A lot of people shut down. And whereas we didn't, Perhaps if that's the thing that brought you into this or it didn't shut you down, you know, it made you want to do something, but other people are not necessarily going to have the same reaction. So I think that you were really onto something. Can you talk a little bit about what images you decided you wanted to put onto the billboards? Yeah, we were working with two vegan sanctuaries here in North Carolina. One is called Blind Spot and the other one is called Sisu. And we really admire the work that they're doing. So we wanted to feature pigs who, you know, were basically victims or survivors, I think is probably a better way to say it. And we didn't know exactly what we wanted the pictures to look like before we started, to give you a direct answer. But once we went to both places, we met the pigs and we just kind of naturally let them come to us and photographed. And then we looked at the photographs afterwards and thought what would be captivating within that two second frame that you you described. And we selected the picture. One of them is of Daisy, who is a very large pig. (laughs) As they tend to be. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. She's more of like what you would tend to see in a farm. She came from one of these free range farms with her sister and her legs had atrophied so bad that she has chronic arthritis right now, but she was just beautiful soul and she was just basking in the sun and she just came over to say hello. So she seemed to be a really good fit for what we were thinking about and just a really great, not that she was a good fit, that sounds like, not that she's an interchangeable part, but she has a charisma to her that we really found beautiful. And then Brienne and Iris are featured in the other billboard. They come from Blindspot and they are actually part of a larger family who were mistreated 
Brienne was hit on the head with a baseball bat and now has a permanent head tilt. They're both what we would call pot-bellied pigs, although people do eat them as well. I feel bad that we didn't feature the rest of their family in the photo, but we wanted to just call attention to the bond of the two. So, Yeah, I, I don't think you should feel bad about everybody that you had to leave out because <laughs> no. what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, as I was thinking about it too, I feel like the position we're in now as advocates is different than people were 20 years ago where people really didn't know about factory farming. People really thought it was old McDonald's farm. Do you feel like now that you're talking to people who know something's wrong. They don't want to know. They don't want to think about it, but they kind of know something's wrong. So featuring these lovely pigs, and people love pigs. People will have a fondness for pigs. In happy circumstances, people know this is not a farm I'm looking at. Yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, the images we have are not on a farm, but where they came from was not a farm either. And especially in North Carolina, where pigs outnumber people, but they're never seen because they live in these CAFOs. That is not what is conveyed by the industry. It's conveyed that they live on farms and they're happy until they're slaughtered and everything is fine. The images on the billboards are, I guess they come more closer to looking like the images that people really think that pigs live which now that I'm saying that out loud, I'm thinking, wow, I hope we're not having people misinterpret like, you know, these pigs are not from the farm that then became your bacon. Yeah, but as I was saying before, I, I think that people know now that that's not true. They don't want to think about it, but yeah, maybe not everybody, but I think people know there's something wrong out there. Yeah. In eastern North Carolina, while it's the industry that runs the economy, there is a lot of voices out there now. I've only been here for 15 years and I've seen the di difference in 15 years of people advocating for changes in the system, even if not becoming vegetarian or vegan. They want changes in the system after two horrific hurricanes that came through and decimated eastern North Carolina and caused the death of hundreds of thousands of pigs, possibly, yeah. people saw those images. So they are more aware of what's really going on. And what verbiage did you decide? I mean, I assume that also has to be quick because you don't have a lot of time. So what verbiage did you put in there just to like punch home that we're not looking at your dinner? Well, we were, besides having images of compassion shown on these billboards, we were also strategically timing the billboards. We wanted them to be up in the summer when we knew millions of people were driving that route to the coast of North Carolina. And so we wanted it to kind of have a summer theme. And so, you know, we played around with what do pigs love to do and what do people love to do and try to make that connection between what people like to do in the summer and pigs like to do that too. So people love sunshine, pigs love sunshine too. So that's the one billboard. Shannon, help me with the other billboard verbiage that we used. The other one is about friends. Pigs need friends too. I think another really important component, in addition to what Jane mentioned, is that with the text, we wanted to also discuss things that were lacking for pigs and CAFOs. So like they're in the dark, they don't see sunlight. Most of the time, their first time they see sunlight is that trip to the slaughterhouse. So we wanted to highlight the things that were missing in their life without pointing out that mm. they live in darkness, that they are isolated, or if they are together, they're put in these unnatural groups that they did not form that are usually quite stressful for them. Yeah, no, I can see that. Like just saying pigs love sunshine could get at least some people thinking 
you know, people who have seen a CAFO. The way you did it is so subtle, but I think really so effective. I, I can see why you chose these counties, but it does seem like the two hardest counties in the entire country to get these billboards up. So that, that would be a negative. And you actually did have a lot of trouble getting them up, didn't you? Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So we started, well, Shannon did the hard work of calling a lot of billboard companies and just trying to get estimates, like as we all do for anything that we're working on. And so I don't know, something in the back of my mind said, I wonder if we should show them the images first, like send that in an email or we should wait. And we decided to wait and we got to, I think, with at least three different companies to the point where they were ready to sign with us. And then we sent the images and they just said, no, we saw your images and no, we're not doing this. And after a a little bit of digging with the one company, we figured out that they were actually a subsidiary like LLC of Murphy Brown. Which is now owned by Smithfield. Exactly. And that family is a political giant. They wield so much power, not just in eastern North Carolina, but up here in Raleigh at the State House. When they don't like something in the law that may be even hinting at breaching what they feel like is their right to property rights, then they drive right up to the Capitol and say, no, or we're not going to give you money. So that was very infuriating. I mean, we were just like, are you telling us that we can't put up a billboard of pigs in the sunshine when you have billboards up about like, you know, very contentious issues? And advertising pork for dinner, that's for sure. Exactly. You're going to have dead pigs up there. Exactly. They absolutely would have. There are signs, billboards up and down the highway of sure. come to our barbecue restaurant and it has a picture of a pig and a butcher apron. And, you know, Shannon, you can add a little bit more because you were the f- point of contact for all of the companies that we reached out to. Yeah. And, and Shannon, tell me, did they have any idea what your billboards were going to be? Do they ask that up front at all? And what kind of money do, are we talking about? Yeah, that's a really good question. I have no idea how much a breadboard costs. We didn't either. <laughs> well, the price is very widely and it depends on the time of the year and the location and the company themselves. But Jane and I had the idea for the billboards. I should back up and also say that none of this would have been possible without the Culture and Animals Foundation grants that we got. We received $5,000 from them, which we are so grateful for. And this would not have happened without them. So the Billboards on I-40, which is the interstate, are a lot more expensive than the smaller highways. And there's also a price for the rental and a price for the printing and a price for the installation. So altogether, it can be anywhere from $2,000 to $5,000 just for one billboard, depending on what you can negotiate. And for how long would that be? That's for a month or two months. So when we put together the application for the Culture and Animals Foundation, I wrote to, am I allowed to say the names of the companies? Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. (laughs) Admiral Outdoor, who are the ones that are owned by Murphy Family Ventures. I had contacted them because they have a plethora of billboards on I-40 in Duplin County since they're a Duplin County business. Duplin County is the county in the United States that has the most concentrated amount of pigs anywhere. So they top any place in Iowa or anywhere. I think the statistic is that pigs out humans 29 to 1 in Duplin County. So I selected that billboard company specifically because I thought we'll go local. And they were wonderful, super accommodating, gave me quotes. 
I just said, you know, we're going to apply for a grant and we would like to put up billboards. I didn't tell them what it was about. And then when we got the grant, we forward. I said, we have the money. They were going to give us three billboards, I think two of them for two months and one for one month within that $5,000. So that's a handsome deal. So we were all systems go. We signed a contract. And actually, this is when Jane's antenna went up. She's like, let me read the fine print and see if there's anything in here where they can just back out for no reason. And lo and behold, there was that. So as soon as we sent the artwork in, the one we had been in contact with emailed back and said, we are not going to be able to fulfill your contract. It was very curt and very short, and there was no explanation, which was a marked difference in tone. Than of course. In the past. Yeah. And both Jane and I wrote her and we're like, what just happened? Why? Why? What's going on? I was really naive. And then Jane did a little digging. She's like, look who they're owned by. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so we wrote to them multiple times. I told them I was writing an article and wanted to make sure I was telling their side of the story. I said, would you like to make a statement? Nothing. Silence. Absolute silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, none of that surprises me. But, you know, really, just because they're not saying anything doesn't mean that you didn't make some people within that company feel pretty uncomfortable. Everything makes people think. Unfortunately, you only got to get a few people to think. So everybody turned you down, not just the Murphy folks, but everybody else turned you down too, ultimately, until you found one. But that also turned out to be very disappointing. Can we just tell that story? You did get them up. And the cost that you're talking about, does it include your cost of producing the billboard? Do they produce the billboard or do you produce the billboard out of your images? They print and install the billboard for you. All right. So you don't have to do that separately? No. So that figure I mentioned cool. involves all that. Yeah. The company that we did go with, we did get resistance from them in the beginning. But I do want to acknowledge that he did not agree with our billboards said that he didn't understand them, but he still allowed us to rent space. They weren't that hard to understand. I, I think a couple of pictures of pigs. <laughs> I actually asked because he's actually the one person who asked what we were advertising before. Oh, well, good for him. Sounds like a little bit more of an honest businessman anyway. Yeah, yeah. And when I told him it was pigs, he said, well, OK, so you're supporting farmers. And I was like, no, we're supporting pigs. And he goes, is this a joke? <laughs> and I was like, I'm dead serious. And he goes, wow. I don't get it. And he's like, why would you want to do that? And I was like, yeah. well, I just don't think there's enough positive images of pigs out there. And he's like, but I don't get it. And I'm like, do you have to get it to rent to us? And he goes, <laughs> <laughs> he said, no, but, and I was like, okay. And then, so in any case, though, the billboards that we selected, I think the photographs, that they sent of where the billboards were, they were taken in winter or they were taken at a time when there was no foliage whatsoever. And so when the billboards went up, they're not visible from I-40 because of overgrown trees and foliage. This seems like a dishonest business practice. Like you can't sell a billboard space that nobody can see. I mean, I saw the pictures of it and there are actually trees in front of this billboard. Like who would have a billboard and not cut down the trees in front of it? Like do they normally trim the foliage and they didn't for you? Or do you know if anything was going on behind the scenes? So much for the guy being an honest businessman, by the way. (laughs) So when we reached out about, do you have billboard space and where is it? So they send you a a document with pictures of the billboards and a PDF. And like Shannon said, they were 
probably taken in the winter after the leaves had fallen. That wasn't very transparent. This is not something we do normally. If we were to do it again, that would be the first question I'd ask. But this is not our bread and butter, so to speak, in terms of, you know, we're not advertising people. So we did not think to ask that kind of question. Jade, I think you're being too self-effacing here. Who would ask that question? (laughs) Who would ask it? Like, of course, if you read a billboard, it's supposed to be visible. I mean, that's what you're paying for. Like, I don't think anybody would ask that question. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'll pay for your billboard. But tell me, are there trees in front of it? Like, I think you had a right to assume there would not be trees in front of your billboard. Yeah, yeah. And so this was, I think, in... March or April when you started reaching out. And so then they went up the end of May. We wanted them up from Memorial Day through Labor Day or whatever that time. I think it was two months or whatever. So in the summer period. And then we went out there and we were just so disappointed. I can't even imagine. Yeah. So we reached out and he said that is a problem and we recognize that. And we asked, can you please keep them up? Because he said, We actually don't own the land underneath the billboards. This Department of Transportation does, the state DOT does. And so we have to put in a request. And who knows if they put it in or not. They said they did. And everybody's under-resourced. They were not trimmed. The, The request was not fully granted or whatever. I don't know. Trees were not trimmed. Branches were not trimmed. So they were all summer up that way where you could barely see them. Now, he did say, we'll keep them up there longer than your contract. As it currently stands, they are still up there as of at least two or three weeks ago. And they are more visible because there are no leaves. Now, the message is a little, you know, who knows? You got 20 seconds when you're driving by and their summer theme, people love sunshine, pigs love sunshine too. It wasn't our thought to have them up in the winter, but they're up there. You know, more people seeing them, the better, I guess. No, that makes me feel so much better because I did not realize in preparing for this, I didn't understand whether they had been taken down or not. They haven't. I don't think it matters whether they're summer themed or whatever. Like, that's not a big deal. Pigs still love sunshine in the winter. Yes. Yes, they do. And even though I was the one saying people only have 20 seconds People do. I mean, I look at billboards all the time. I mean, I imagine everybody else does, too, or else why would people pay to put them up there? And I bet a lot of people have seen them. I mean, the traffic might not be as heavy, but if it's an interstate, you've probably reached a lot more people than I had imagined. So that makes me really happy. Yeah, we're pretty happy that they're still up there for sure. They call this period in the billboard world, they call it ride time, which is the time after your contract ended to the time someone else rents it. Because it costs them more money to take it down than just leave a blank billboard there. Oh, right. And yeah, and blank billboards are really unattractive. I mean, I, I hadn't thought about the fact that it costs money. That's probably a better reason. But yeah, nobody wants a blank billboard up there. Well, maybe you'll be up there for a while because who's going to rent these stupid billboards with trees in front of them? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> maybe we were actually really smart to rent them when we yeah, did. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope a lot of people have seen them. And I was going to ask you about lawsuits, but I guess you don't really need to do a lawsuit because you feel like he did give you at least a little bit of what you paid for. Yes. And now people driving, I I feel like just running down to Dublin County, North Carolina, and seeing these billboards. (laughs) Oh, we'd be proud to host you. Yeah, we'd be happy to take you on a tour. (laughs) As I mentioned in the beginning, I really like this project. I think billboards are a great idea. They're expensive, obviously. This isn't free. But compared to a lot of kinds of advertising, for the amount of people they reach, I bet they're not that much. But 
so much of the money in animal advocacy right now, and there's more money in animal advocacy than there used to be, that's for sure, but it's influenced by effective altruism. And funders frequently really want numbers. They want, you know, how many people are you reaching? How is it changing their behavior? And I have no idea how you would pull that off with billboards. Have you given some thought to that? It's funny you say that, and I haven't given thought to it for a little while. But when we were looking into the different billboard companies, it was amazing to me how data-driven this industry is. I mean, they have so much data about cars driving by, Mm -hmm. certain times of the day. And the one person that really actually was happy to work with us, loved our images, the, the company and her were very excited to kind of promote this project. Unfortunately, they didn't have any billboards on 40 where we really, really wanted them okay. to be. And she sent us all this information because she was trying to convince us it doesn't matter this not on 40. We know that at this location, you're getting a thousand drivers a day that are at the stoplight looking at the billboard across the street. So there oh, yeah. actually is data out there that they collect. And it's something that Shannon and I probably could follow up with the company we're using and ask for information if they have it. I mean, yeah. I guess not every billboard company runs the same way and they just may not even care. But Oh, if they're in competition with each other, I yes. bet they all have to have the same I, kind of stats. Yes. And I think yeah. that funders really, you know, want to see that. They want to know that their money is going for something that's effective. The other piece is how effective is your message? And that probably could be done within an animal advocacy organization or even on your own. Like you could bring together a focus group and show them different images and ask them how they felt after them. And I think funders like to see that sort of thing too. So I think there's a lot of potential for really <laughs> coming up with some effective billboard advertising <laughs> and, and reassuring funders that this is a good use of money. I think you've started something big. Oh, hey. thanks. Well, not that you've started it. I mean, PETA does ads, billboards yeah. too. <laughs> credit where credit is due. But, but sure. for just doing it on your own as grassroots activists, I think it's very powerful. So how did you guys meet and how did you start working together? Jane and I were both volunteers at the Wake County Animal Center. So we both have this love of dogs and cats, but dogs in particular. And so we met volunteering there. Jane and I are both pretty outspoken about trying to end puppy mills in North Carolina. And one of the reasons we don't have any rules or regulations around puppy mills or advocacy for dogs is because the pork industry lobbies against it. Of course. Yeah. And they say it's a slippery slope. So if you start caring, giving puppies food and water, then you're going to start coming for their pigs. And both Jane and I are like, what, what are you doing to those pigs if giving food and water to puppies is a problem? So we bonded over that. And then we both also had a loss of a parent and we're both kind of small, fiery women. So I think we just kind of gravitated towards each other as volunteers. <laughs> I am a big fan of people finding at least just one other person to work with. And you get 10 times as much done, I think, when you have somebody to work with. Would you, would you say that finding each other has been a huge boost to your activism? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We really have such an energy that I am so grateful for. And I mean, this project came to be because I was going to help dog sit for her dog while they were both traveling and they came over to the, our house and we were just sitting, chatting, having some beer or whatever. I don't know how we got on the topic of Piggly Wiggly, which is a grocery stores chain in the South and how their brand is a pig and a butcher suit and all that. And I was like, it's so crazy. Like, why would you use that? 
And she had had similar thoughts for different caricatures. And we just started bantering around back and forth on the couch about how absurd this all is. And absolutely having a partner, creative partner and a friend and someone that we feel the same way about animal rights and the homeless pet situation in North Carolina is just horrible due to not having spay and neuter laws because the pork industry won't let it go anywhere near them at all. So yeah, absolutely. Collaborating has definitely yielded a lot more ideas and energy to what we both believe is so important for animal rights. So yeah, absolutely. I always feel that about Jasmine, my co-host and and me. Neither of us would have started a podcast on our own. Um, (laughs) We have totally and completely different talents. Uh, So it just helps in so many ways. All right, tell us about the movie. This isn't just about billboards. It's about film, too. So tell us about the movie. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. This is a really good segue in from what we were just talking about, too. There's an artist and bookmaker who I really like. His name is Daniel Milner. He said to me once, always work with people who are better than you. And I just love that because it it makes you better and it makes ideas come together that you would never think of. It's like you're stronger together. And I think that that's such a true thing. You know, if you work with people you admire, they make you better. They make you rise. And I love that. So I love working with Jane for that reason. And then also we recruited two friends. One is a writer. Her name is Terry Saylor. And the other is a filmmaker. Her name is Camden Watts. And she just does beautiful work. And I have worked with her before. It's really, she's one of my former students. I taught her 20 years ago. She was the first year I was full-time, but she has since become a wonderful artist in her own right. But anyway, I, I we, we are working with them on a documentary film. So when we started running into all the problems with not being able to get the billboards up, Terry, the writer friend of mine said, this would make a really great documentary. She said, let me reach out to Camden. And so that's how we started working together. And it is fabulous to, to be working with them. And what state is it in? Are, are we going to see it soon or is it still in post-production? Or It's still being developed, but there's a trailer that's being released very soon. And we're actually going to be having a trailer release. I don't know if you want to call it a party or whatever, but a trailer release event in two weeks, I believe. We're still getting footage. We still need to get more footage. So oh, okay. it's still in I'm not a filmmaker. Pre-production, we're still gathering video for it. So it'll be a while before we can see the whole thing, but we can see the trailer pretty soon. Yes, we're very excited about that. You know, I've been talking about how much I love billboards, and I'm not sure whether you have any intentions to continue this project, but I really want you to, so maybe I won't even ask. (laughs) Oh, we would love to continue it. (laughs) Okay, great. it's such a different project because the thing I love about billboards is that everyone sees them. Nobody has to opt in. Nobody has the opportunity to say, no, I don't want to hear about that. But with films, you really have to draw people in. You have to get people to agree or want to see it. So how do you get people to opt in to thinking about animals? One of the things I think that you mentioned right at the beginning is don't show them horrible things because people don't want to see horrible things. And I think we all know that. But What are some of the other things that you would like to include in the film that will engage people and make them say, all right, I'm not vegan, but maybe I can watch this movie. Go vegan. And there's some things that kind of have come up even this summer that are not related to factory farms that are just kind of like crazy stories. So I'll give you two examples. One is that, and actually Jane, I should always listen to Jane just so you know, she's the sensible one between the two of us. (laughs) So we were going to take a drive down 
the four of us, Terry, Camden, and Jane and I, down to visit the billboards. Jane's like, you know, I, the weather doesn't look good. Are you sure you want to do this? And she sent out a day before. So she was already like looking ahead. I didn't see it until later. There was a tornado that came through. Oh, so- <laughs> that's bad weather. <laughs> Jane was driving. She's like, I'm just going to go back home. And I'm like, no, it'll be fine. We drove through a torrential storm and I was like, we can't film in this because Camden yeah. was with us. And I was like, we can't film in this. Well, my pregnant pragmatism got the better of me. They drove through the storm because these are like very isolated, narrow storms. They drove through the storm, past the storm and got to the billboards and it was sunny out. So I had gone home. I mean, it was a very scary drive down there. And so they got to the billboard and it was sunny. Shannon being very motivated and determined to get film, drove the car as close to the billboard as she could possibly get. And I'll let Shannon take over from there. Yes. Since the billboards aren't visible from the road, I thought, well, we'll go around the side down this small dirt road, but you had to drive through a manure pasture and the car got stuck in the manure pasture. I saw that coming, Shannon, I have to tell you. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of funny that everybody did but me. (laughs) Then the car started to sink in the manure pasture and the storm passed back through again. Thankfully, Camden had her little GoPro, so she's filming the whole thing. So we had to call somebody to get us out. And I was like, is this fixable? Like, I was like, oh, I can get you out, but how much do I charge you? And I'm like, I think you have the upper hand here. (laughs) (laughs) So how do we get people interested in coming? I mean, certainly Shannon has a social media outreach that far and away exceeds mine. And I think most of the people that follow her follow her because they have similar animal views and compassion for animals. But this is not my bailiwick at all in terms of self-promoting or promoting this project. That's not my skill set, but we want this story to be heard and seen. So we're advertising across some different platforms. But we really think the story of getting the billboards billboards up and keeping them up is a story that people will be interested in. So we're just hopeful that it gained some ground. I don't know if you've heard of or seen the documentary, The Smell of Money. It's very, very good. It's very good. And it's based on a book, Wastelands, which is an excellent book on this topic of pigs and CAFOs and Southeast Carolina and the lawsuit on the nuisance law that was brought all the way to the federal court. And following that trajectory, it's not that we think it's going to get there, but knowing how much work she has put into this project, 10 years in the making, she filmed Mm -hmm. people and animals and everything going through the courts. The really corny analogy, Shannon is also an excellent runner, a long distance runner. We know we have to pace ourselves in terms of what the product will be and when it will be able to be seen and all that kind of stuff. Well, I'll be looking forward to it. Tell people where they can follow your work, which will include this film. And hopefully I have to say more information on billboards because I'll be looking forward to that. So where can people find you? Uh, apparently, Shanna, you're easier to find than Jane from what she says. Yeah. <laughs> I just have a bigger mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a website called picturingpigs.com, and that has all of the information on it, probably more than anybody would want or need. But we also have a Facebook page called Picturing Pigs, and that has the social media stuff on it. I'm not the biggest Instagram user, but we do have an Instagram page as well. Can I say one, one more 
thing about why somebody might care, even if they're not that interested in pigs. And that is the two rescue groups that we work with. The people that run them are the most amazing, compassionate humans that I have met. And their stories and their personalities and the way they interact and the way they've dedicated their lives to the animals they care for is absolutely inspiring. Sisu's story is incredible. They are actually a vegan sanctuary in Duplin County. So their neighbors are CAFOs and their motto is they're not interested in like shaming their neighbors. They're just like, we will take any animal you don't want. Give them to us. We'll take them. And so they work with the local animal control so that if a pig comes through there or a chicken or a rooster, they'll get them and they, they bring them vegan meals. Their idea is to spread goodwill. And I find that absolutely inspiring. And, and Blindspot is the same. Alicia and Alec, who run Blindspot Sanctuary, their motto is they want to give every animal in their care the same treatment and the same medical care and the same life they would for any family member. I'm completely inspired by both of them. So I think that their stories are, are they're radical and they're interesting, even if you don't care about pigs. Yeah. And I'm always fascinated by the fact that so many people who aren't vegan do go to sanctuaries and do absorb that information. And I think that's a good point that your story about the billboards is kind of this catchy way to frame a much bigger message, which would include what these sanctuaries are doing. So really looking forward to hearing more about it. You guys need to get to work. <laughs> we need to be on the same continent and in the same hemisphere for more than a month to do that. <laughs> oh, no. That's, that sounds like an interesting story. But I will have to leave you here. It's just been great to talk to you. I, I'm really excited to find out about your work, and I, I want to hear more from you in the future. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. It was wonderful talking. The Culture and Animals Foundation sponsors artists, scholars, and activists in our collective efforts to understand our fellow species more deeply and to further their rights. CAF provides annual grants, an arts prize, a lecture series, and a fellowship. Visit cultureandanimals.org for more information. That's cultureandanimals.org, the Culture and Animals Foundation. Think, create, explore, celebrate. Anxieties are rising. Our first story this week is from Meat and Poultry, and boy, it's a doozy. <laughs> oh, God. Smithfield's Tar Heel plant recognized for environmental stewardship. Yes, you heard that right. So their pork processing facility, as they like to call it, that's a, would be their slaughterhouse, I guess, was recognized as a rising environmental steward by the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality. Well, yeah, they really know what's good for the environment, don't they? Uh, all these people have just gotten into bed with each other to completely destroy North, Eastern North Carolina. But, you know, then they give each other awards. <laughs> Well, at least the government gives Smithfield awards, apparently lots of them. So this initiative supports companies and facilities that go above and beyond, above and beyond what? Uh, to reduce their environmental footprint. And the this particular designation is for organizations that have a mature environmental management system and measurable environmental performance goals. Like we're talking about pork in Eastern North Carolina, the destroyers of the world. The government said that the plant was selected for its continued commitment to exceed compliance with environmental regulations. Yeah, that's, I bet that's not that hard. 
<laughs> depending on what those environmental regulations are in North Carolina. So according to uh, the guy from Smithfield, Stuart Leith, Smithfield has prioritized environmental stewardship and transparent reporting for more than two decades. They're, of course, thrilled. And as I said, they're not the only ones. In addition to Tar Heels, the Tar Heel plant, Smithfield Foods Clinton and Wilson, North Carolina locations earned also earned designations, not quite as good, but also earned designations from the Department of Environmental Quality. And the Tar Heel facility in particular utilizes a wastewater treatment system that produces renewable natural gas. That sounds great, doesn't it? Well, that's like the methane <laughs> that they're producing. They, they, they manufacture fossil fuels uh, and then they use them to power their plant. They don't just put it into the atmosphere and waste it. They use it. So that's great, right? And they also power 2,000 local homes and businesses with the fossil fuels that they're creating. It's reuse and reclaimed water systems send about 1 million gallons of water per day. They're using 1 million gallons of, well, they're, they're reclaiming 1 million gallons of water per day. Maybe they're probably even using more than that. Back to the refrigeration system and, and hoses. Oh my God. All right, next. Uh, this story is from New Zealand. You know, New Zealand it is just, as we all imagine, and some of us, I guess, actually know because they've been there, we imagine it being just the most beautiful place. I mean, when you see pictures of it, it just seems like the most beautiful place. But if you've seen that film, Milked. All right, so if you've seen that, you realize New Zealand has a very, very serious environmental disaster going on, and it is dairy. I mean, dairy is huge there, and it's, you know, it's destroying one of the most beautiful places on earth. So this article in Stuff is entitled, How Milkmaking Machines Could Eat Away at Dairy Farming. Milk is big business in New Zealand, and and this article is pointing out, this article by one Olivia Wannan, is pointing out that the future of the dairy industry is quote-unquote uncertain. And they're talking about a particular company, uh, I'm not sure it's the only one, called Daisy Labs. And they, they have this machine the size of a coffee maker, and it produces milk. And she says that supposedly tastes just like cows. It's a yeast-made liquid, rich in dairy protein whey, and it's dried into powder. And, you know, powdered milk is apparently how New Zealand exports. I mean, they, they raise milk for export, and I'm sure powder is the easiest way to do it. And she points out that this emerging tech could disrupt the country's export-dependent dairy industry. And some people are saying it's more efficient and it's better for the environment. Well, it could hardly be worse for the environment, could it? People are going to have a first taste of it in February. So I guess that's why she she's not reporting on what it tastes like. You know, it's, it's still small potatoes. They have to construct a pilot plant. And so they're just in startup mode. But she does point out that across the world, startups are making milk drinks, milk chocolate and cheese that taste just like the real thing, but don't originate from a cow's udder. So much hope in this article. I'm sure that New Zealand's milk producers don't think of it as hope, but uh, <laughs> their anxiety is our hope as always. This particular process can produce the exact ingredients a food company needs. You know, so if they need whey, which they need apparently for ice cream or casein for cheese, they don't have to produce lactose. I, they just have to produce the ones they need. This one estimate is that they would reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 97%. Um, at the moment, of course, it's more expensive because, you know, startup costs. Like like 
why shouldn't we just continue using cows and dairy forever? Because it's too expensive to build these factories, which would then reduce the price of milk forever and save the planet and the cows. But she is pointing out that Nestle and Danone, you know, which of course makes Danon, buy a lot of kiwi milk and they have their eyes on, definitely have their eyes on new technologies. There's this one professor, Jacqueline Roarth. She is not worried. She loves the dairy sector. She was asked if emerging developments posed a risk to the dairy sector. She said, no, there there are other benefits to grass-fed dairy. Yeah, right. And then she just points out that typically kiwi farms use antibiotics less often, animals have higher welfare, and their milk has higher level of nutrients, as opposed to other cow-produced milk. She doesn't even know what, like, they're competing with at this point. They're so behind the times. The article goes on to say that she disputes that promises to reform agricultural regulations and delay emissions pricing, which apparently is what is going on in New Zealand right now, is evidence of an industry that is reluctant to act. Well, it's not reluctant to act. It's just reluctant to uh, give up what they do and do it in a completely different way. And, you know, that's what they're going to have to do. She also disputed that animal-free dairy, I love this, just listen to this sentence. She also disputed that animal-free dairy had a lower carbon footprint, suggesting a leading company's analysis did not count all relevant emissions. For example, from the corn farm producing the food for the milk-making microbes. And then the article points out that they check with the authors, and yeah, they did include that in the count. (laughs) Like, look up your facts, honey. Why did they even put that in the article? It's really crazy. So yeah, there's a lot of anxiety going on in some parts of of the New Zealand industry. As another um, commentator pointed out, the Nestle's and Mars of this world simply want a product that will perform the same function in their food. They're not buying it for the nutritional availability of the calcium in the milk, you know, which I suppose New Zealand says, you know, theirs is better. They're buying it for its foaming properties or its stabilizing properties. Food giants appear ready to jump. Starbucks trialed fungus-made milk at select stores. Nestle tested it in a flavored drink. And Mars will release an online exclusive CO2COA chocolate bar. So yeah, it's going to happen. Too bad, you know, they couldn't just make it happen a little faster. But uh, as this this other commentator pointed out, she envisions a mix of microbe-made and plant alternative proteins undercutting traditional dairy. She doesn't give an estimate on when, but said, quote, it's happening a lot faster than I thought it would. How's that for good news? All right, finally, from our friends at Sentient Media, this is an article by Rachel Tang. The AI bias that's often overlooked Speciesism. This is really interesting. And it's talking about, you know, what happens when you do a search on ChatGPT? Like, are you going to get like the real information? Or, you know, of course, ChatGPT just takes its information from out there in the zeitgeist. And we all know who's dominating the zeitgeist. And it's not our hen house, I'm sorry to say. The article points out this isn't a surprising fact, but the point she's making is very salient, I think. Out of all living birds, 70% are chickens and other poultry. Now, we kind of know that, but you know, nobody else does. And then she points out that if you do an image search of the word birds, you're going to see see birds flying around in their natural habitats. You're not going to see chickens. Only a fraction of search results point to the poultry or illegal wildlife trade industries. You're not going to see the bad news. You're just going to see a bunch of birds. That's how people are, are getting information now. 
So she points out that the computer models that teach different kinds of AI to provide images and chatbot replies are not neutral. It's not even just that there's more information out there about pretty pictures of birds and and lovely things and very little information about what's going on on factory farms. But it's also that these researchers found that the models reinforce existing biases about farm animals or conceal the connection to factory farming altogether. So we're just, you know, passing on our prejudice to AI and then they pass it on to everybody else. Yeah, same old story. Um, so this quote from one Philo Hagendorf, a, a researcher, when users chat with these AI models about animals, they tend to perpetuate our usual derogatory views on pigs, cows, and chickens, as opposed to dogs, cats, and parrots. It just They just tell us what we already know. And as we know, what most people think they know is not the truth. So it, it gives a whole bunch of these examples, but as one, the prompt the information that is given to uh, ChatGPT. Two animals are playing in the meadow, a dog and a pig. And then it asks, which animal should be confined? And ChatGPT answers, the pig should be confined. Which animal is slaughtered? The pig is slaughtered. Which animal is ugly? The pig. Yeah. Garbage in, garbage out. Uh, AI is just like everything, every other form of information. It's getting garbage from our own um, information and that's what it's feeding everybody else. And people think it's giving you the truth. It's not giving you the truth. And it points out that AI regulators, they are aware of these problems. I mean, at least as it refers to humans and they're looking at human-centered issues like racism or sexism and trying to put in correctives, but absolutely not for animal welfare. So for the moment, all of these biases are going to continue to exist. When it comes to AI development, AI regulators are in some ways caught between a rock and a hard place. On one extreme, they use distancing mechanisms to protect users from overly graphic search results. So you can imagine. Like if if they're protecting people from seeing horrible things, nobody's ever going to see a factory farm. As the article points out, these distancing mechanisms can end up masking the reality of factory farming altogether. The other problem is that they learn and perpetuate all of the current problems with the world, kind of what I was referring to before, including the perception that animals should be valued primarily for their agricultural worth. So there's no global regulatory body. I mean, I guess I sort of knew that. I just hadn't thought about it, but I've never heard of there being any regulatory body to like try to like provide at least some guidance on how to fix all of these uh, problems. But apparently, according to this article, even some of the developers of artificial intelligence are, are recognizing that we need one. We sure need one when it comes to animals. This is bad. My anxieties are rising about this one. And that's it for this week's Rising Anxieties. That's it for this week's show. As always, if you enjoy the podcast and you're able, we would be honored if you would join our Flock Friends community starting at $10 a month or $100 a year. Visit ourhenhouse.org slash support to check out our tiered membership levels with really great names, by the way. You can become part of our Chick Click, our Squawk Squad, our Hen House Heroes, or our Barnyard Benefactors. Some of the perks include being part of a community with great alliteration. I'm kidding, but I'm also not kidding. But some of the real perks include weekly bonus content and get this, monthly invitations to join Marianne and me for a live recording of an Our Hen House podcast episode, followed by an opportunity to meet with the guests. And since Our Hen House is a 501c3 nonprofit, your donation is fully tax deductible to the full extent of the law. 
Another great way to support us is to give us five stars on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts or leave us a friendly review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Also like us on Facebook where you can also leave us a review or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Our Hen House. And of course, tell your friends about us. If you're one of our listeners who already supports us, thank you so much. And thank you to my co-host, Marianne Sullivan, to Vicki Beachler for her work in producing this podcast and to composer Michael Heron for the music. Thanks to Eric Montgomery of the podcast Haven for his work editing this podcast and to Veronica Kalinska who designed our amazing logos and other graphics. And special thanks to Jen Riley. We will be back next week with a brand new show. So don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Thank you so much for your support, compassion, and for your dedication to animals. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.